Hello, all. Welcome to Clergy and Collars Getting Coffee. Today, my special guest is the Reverend Dr. Yvette Armstead from uh, Beulah Baptist Church. Uh, she has her doctorate in Christian counseling already, and she's working on another one uh, with me in mission, missional leadership from uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. So welcome, Yvette. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you too, Miss Leah. <laughs> uh, you just had your ordination. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and like you have been cramming. So, so you come from a Baptist background. I'm, I'm born and bred Presbyterian and, uh, your process of ordination is very different than ours. So can you just give a, give me the cliff notes version? Cliff notes version. Um, I did my initial sermon in December of 2016. Wow. So from, from 2016 to now, um, is almost seven years. Um, we had to study. We had to show ourselves a workman unworthy. Um, we had to be watched by the congregation. We had to be watched with studying. And one of the main requirements of, um, in a, well, in my church, everybody has a little different aspect on how they want to ordain. Um, we Part of it had to be that we went to school. Schooling was is an integral part for us, you have to be trained. You have to have some type of theological background in order to to um, move forward. Right. Um, by me having, I have a bachelor's and I have a master's. Um, I'm a master's in public health administration. So, and I had been studying. So, um, when I went to school, I decided to go for the PhD in Christian counseling. So, and again, like you said, I'm working on that, but it's a process. Um, with that, um, we do had to do a lot of studying. I had to be catechized. I had a catechist. Catechism. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, we had to go through this drooling thing of about six months worth of going on Saturdays anywhere from two to four hours studying and being challenged um, on the work. We had a book that we had to work through through the process. Um, and once he, the catechist, um, once he felt that we were securing the information, um, we were able to go forth. He presented us before the not only um, different pastors, we had to sit before different pastors. We also had to sit before friends and family of the church. Wow. So we got asked questions um, concerning biblical th doctrine, theology, um, you name oh, it. I was thinking maybe there's someone in your church would ask you, why do you always take the last piece of cake from the coffee hour? Girl, no, <laughs> no, we had to come, you know, what are the solaces, uh, you know, different. We had to be able to go and, um, explain ourselves. And we had to also, um, give an account of how we came, why we are, um, on the road. What, how did we get here? Right. So, um, so which was our credo statement. Um, so it was a, it was a drooling seven to eight months with studying, with doing everything else. It was drooling. And so we go before this, the, um, council, well, before the church and the different, um, reverends, um, of right. different churches, they get to ask us questions too, after the catechism. You have to be prepared for everything because Every, and, you don't know what they're going to ask you. And that was the scariest yeah. part of yeah. we didn't know what they would say to us or what questions would come to us. So we had to have a we had to be pretty well grounded in a lot of different things. They didn't do too bad. 
Um, so we did that the two weeks, two weeks prior to the ordination. So two weeks ago on a Saturday that happened. So we found out that day that we had passed, we had to go out of the um church <laughs> and they we had on to wait and they had to vote on us whether <laughs> So we're sitting now. I'm like, oh my God. And I stumbled on one of the questions. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I yeah. knew it, but I stumbled on it. And I'm like, oh, I said, well, Lord, I said, if that's going to keep me from being ordained and so be it, I did my right. best. So, right. but when we went back in, um, they, they passed us. Um, so it, it was, it was, I thought I had it here. It was a, um, hold on, I'm show you. Yeah. I'm at, uh, and see, okay. and then, then doing it, they have you probably can't see it. Um, yes, all, yes everybody, yes, all the Senate, yes, everybody had to sign it. So, on or when we got ordained, when we got our um, doing an ordination, we got this from all the people, all the reverends that was there that that said that we were qualified, um, nice. to be reverends. So, it yeah, was my, it's a process. My ordination certificate is actually hanging up at home. It's not in my church office. It's at home, it's my home office. Um, along the same with my husband, all our degrees, whatever, are all hung up in our home office. I don't know why they're instead of here, but I feel people know I'm at the church office. They know that I, I have my ordination certificate or else I wouldn't be able you know, to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But I, that's, you know, we have, we have, there's like some similar overlap in terms of like, we too, as part of our process have to, it's not the council, but it is a group of ministers and ruling elders who are all officers of the church who then can ask you anything. So we have that, mm -hmm. that happens like twice. So the first time is when you present yourself and then they can only ask you questions about like you or your faith story right? It's very, they can't ask you any theological questions. Okay. But then the next time they can ask you any theological question, basically any question they want to ask you is on the table. And, um, and yeah, it is grueling because you don't know if it's, if they're going to be, you don't know, right. What you're going to get when you, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and if so, you know, we say, well, what if somebody don't like us and they really doesn't, you know, but the thing about it was when they asked the questions, yeah, it was like, they remembered how it felt when they were there. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of atmosphere that I got after when they started asking questions, they yeah. didn't ask things that were too daunting or where you really had to go into a lot of explanation you know, they wanted to really see where we were. And I was told after we walked out, one of the biggest piece that they kept asking was, did the catechism, catechists um, talk about education, how important it is to continue education, just right. because you're getting, um, you're going to be a reverend, you have to still continue to get some education. So, you know, and with me, you know, oh, we still doing it now, but yeah, that was one of the things that they said came across very heavily that he they want to make sure that we know that we still have to keep getting getting more education still get out there still learning because things are changing yeah things well constantly uh it's you know i think in uh pop culture movie references and whatever and when you were talking about the process that what came to me i don't know if you remember this movie i don't know if you ever saw this movie it's uh taps and it was a uh, gregory hines movie uh, back in the 80s 80s and, uh, yeah 
and the tap dancers would always challenge each other and they go challenge and then they'd start dancing and have to like compete and that's what i'm at some reason when you you talked about anybody could ask you question the whole church prepared i just imagine people passing you in the on a sunday morning saying challenge and then they just ask you a question but um a little less not like that probably <laughs> no no it's not but you know it was and i was lucky because it was four of us that went through together so i had the opportunity to learn and grow with other people so yeah. it was it was a journey it was, I'm glad that it's over, but it's, it was a journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now you, we have to read all this uh, required reading for school, but when, you know, in something like what you're describing with your church, you might not always be given a syllabus with a reading list. Uh, so where do you go to get your book recommendations or your whatever education you're going to go? Do you have, are there catalogs for that stuff? Do you seek it out based on what criteria? I have a, a couple of programs that have, um, I can't think of the one that I got because it's actually on this computer. Um, okay. I have a couple of programs that I go in and like if I need sermon titles, if I need stuff. And then I, then I wish you could see these books. I have a <laughs> lot of, <laughs> I have books over there, books over here. I have a lot of books. I'm forever reading and I, I buy a lot of commentaries. Um, and then I ask people, I ask different reverends or ministers, you know, their different critiques of different things. Um, so I'm always searching and I have a, I have a lot of, I have a lot of books. Um, so I'm forever searching and looking for new things and, um, buying, I have a, I buy too much too. I buy too many books. Yeah, I don't buy, so I use my, I use our local, I use our library a lot for audiobooks or whatever, but I can't get a lot of the religious books that way. So, I mean, I, you know, I, some of it is someone pastors around here retire, then they give you their book collections and then you get more books. But like, <laughs> but Yvette, I, I, you, you're only seeing one shelf in the shop, but there are three shelves, right? With uh -huh. three things on each. These are, these are mostly church books like not like the commentaries and stuff that's what's behind me but i literally i don't know when it was like five years ago uh-huh built myself a new desk and got rid of the church desk that was here because i needed more shelf space so i i went out and purchased all these bookshelves and then a piece of hard plywood which i covered in fabric and and uh, plastic, you know, so I could spill on it. So I wouldn't have to wash the plastic. <laughs> I mean, wash the fabric. Some old piece of like an old tapestry I like, which of course has elephants, because you and I are elephant people. Do you have your, yeah. Do you see what it is? Yeah. And, uh, and, and for those who are watching and are listening, Yvette just held up the, the elephant bracelet. We, we exchanged bracelets at class this, uh, past January and I was wearing an elephant bracelet and she was wearing this really cool, cool, um, rose gold looking, uh, it reminded me of Jack's right. The, the game Jack's that we used to, I used to play as I was a kid, but yeah, I literally built myself this desk. I put wheels on it so it could roll around. It's all made out of bookshelves. And then a hard plywood top, and you know, you. yeah, I secured in the bottom. I looked, I looked and looked and looked for a desk, and I was like, "Well, that's too much. That doesn't do it. That doesn't, you know." And then I was finally like, "I have to build it myself. I can't." Yeah, we build my brother's the carpenter, not me. And this, well, you should have got him to build it. 
I can't afford my brother's work event. You should have told him it would be a gift. Tell him it was a love offering, a gift. Yeah, is that what? How does that go when you ask people for those? And sometimes those are expensive favors, but like also I don't live, he lives across the country. So oh, okay. getting it here would be difficult. If he still lived in New York City, that would be easier. But um, no, he's mighty town. No, I have gotten things from my brother, but uh, building a desk is is a is a different beast. But you know, he made it work. But we were talking about that in terms of like coming from backgrounds where you had to live on a, a budget, right? But both yes. of our backgrounds were such that our families lived on budget. budgets. <laughs> still our families probably live yeah. on budgets but uh but part of that is you learned how to get by with what you had which means you had to learn a, so it, I, I I don't know if you found this but some of those skills right this adaption uh, you know learning how to adapt to whatever it is that circumstances you have, mm -hmm. right um, learning how to use your resources, like going to the local library. My mom would always send us down. Oh, the plumbing's not working. Go to the library and get Bob Vila's book on blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we had to, we had to see if we could fix it ourselves before you could call somebody in to, to do it because that you didn't have the budget for that. And, and so I'm wondering like some of the, you know, learning how to cook, learning how to save or micro save, you might say like, you know, like our, it was a cash time in my growing up. So my mom would collect all the change in jars, right? And that would be the money spent on Christmas. And then six months later on Easter, that was it. That was the budget because that was, everything else was already spent. So the budget was whatever was in that jar. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. how did that, do you, do you find that those skills are things that serve you well in the church, like that sort of ingenuity or creativity or, you know, necessity. Me, yeah. For me, yes. For me, I would say yes, because I've learned how to budget because I have to pay my tithes. I have to do different things um, within the church with being in school. I have to budget because like that, what we have to pay when we go up for the two weeks, I have to budget all of that out. I come home, I pay what I've paid off and then I have to budget and pay so I can go back in June and then buy the books. All of that is on a budget and I have to have stuff paid. You know, I have to have that paid. And I also have to worry about maintaining my household with gas. I have to budget where I can go during the week with gas, with picking it. Cause my granddaughter doesn't ride the bus. So I take her to and from school and I have two cars. So I have to budget out which car I'm going to drive, which car is going to sit. If yep. this car has gas in it, I have to make, you know, and with gas prices going up, I have to, in my, um, I have to budget um, from, see, I'm on a monthly income. So I have to budget monthly on how much money I have in order to right. make it until the next month. Yeah. But in some ways I feel like, uh, like I will say in ministry, that in life in general, money has never been the reason to or not to do something uh, for me, like in terms of, um, you know, like if we're like, oh, we want to build this thing, right? Like I wanted a desk. I was like, I'll find a way to make it happen. You know, it, even if that means I've got to, you know, look around town on trash day to see who's throwing something out, like how good of wood is that? Or, or, you know, the marketplace or you use the resources that you, you have. have. Um, but it makes me think like, 
sometimes in church we talk about like we'll run classes and programs on a, a devotional or you know a chapter or something like that but your your background is also in christian counseling mm -hmm. um, so these then do these become skills because these are all stressors like if you're worried if you're living day to day to day or week to week or month to month paycheck to paycheck that allows space for i, I will say um I call them uh, better demons to get more exercise than my better angels. Well, I come from a church. Let me first yeah. say this, where we have financial classes. My pastor okay. is big on finance, on finances. He's big on tithing. He's big on financing and he's big on no debts. Mm -hmm. So every two to three years, he does a financial peace because he says you are you have to be if you're not financially sound how is anything else going to be sounding in in your um mm. in your life also when we went for ordination that was also a big piece um with that i fight your finances how are you handling your finances when you go look at when a church starts looking at you they're going to start looking at you based on your finances can you afford what you have are you living above your means so right. that is something in for me my pastor and even like i said during our ordination process that was really stress your finances how do you handle what you have? Can you handle it? Are you overextending yourself? Mm -hmm. mm. So that's a key, that's a key piece. And I'm very, and it sounds know, like it's more priority budgets, like put your money where you say your priorities are first. Right. And my, my pastor's thing is you can tell what somebody's priorities is by where you, where they spend their money. Like for me, I'm going to say, I like clothes. I'm, I'm going, I'm just going to keep it honest. I like clothes. Well, you, you like 316 that, that series. I want you to tell everybody what that is as well. That brand that you like to shop. Oh, okay. The John 316. John okay. 316. Yeah. It's a Christian group. It's a Christian brand that, um, I found maybe four or five years ago now. And I like to wear what it says because it's talking about God. Um, God so loved the world. Um, just, just, it comes, it, it has different um, scriptures on it. Um, even the shoes um, have scriptures on them. So I buy that because that's what represents, that's what I represent. And I don't mind putting my money to things that I feel is representative of who I am. Right. And, you know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy, like I said, I like clothes. So that's where my money goes and right. um but a lot of times a lot of people don't realize too i just told you that i was on a budget yeah. so if i know that i'm gonna buy something i space it out in four payments <laughs> yeah we talking about living on a budget oh uh, you yeah it is well like i i i'm a i will thrift store shop i don't know i've made um it was a couple years ago now oh it was the year of covid the year covid so 2020 that I had said, oh, you know what? My new year's resolution is gonna be is I'm gonna buy zero new clothes for 2020. Like that was just my thing. You know, honestly, there has to be some that your your small clothes, as I call them, you might have to make exceptions. <laughs> but I meant like, you know, I love dresses, particularly I have a, I love dresses. I've, I have my whole life. I'm far more comfortable in a dress than I am in shorts and a t-shirt. But um, but I just said, oh, I'm not gonna do this. And then COVID happened, it made it easy. 
because like the, all the stores were closed anyway. So like you couldn't, you couldn't go, but, but I've sort of maintained that. And so now sometimes what I do is I will purchase fabric and then have somebody make a specific piece. So it's exactly what I want, want because I feel somehow that feels more intentional to me as a practice than just buying I'll call it some fast fashion or whatever things that were designed to to survive three washes and fall apart and and um or no no washes <laughs> just fall apart if it's flimsy yeah it's flimsy but you know what Leah when you said that I I, I had to laugh to myself my two younger kids shop at the thrift stores oh yeah they're down they're down in fort lauderdale and they told me they said mom you always took us to the clearance aisle first mm-hmm. <laughs> when you we are if they wanted something new it had to come off the clearance because i couldn't i had three kids at the time I, and was trying to hold it down and pay rent pay car note pay car insurance um we went to the clearance aisle first and then if they really couldn't find anything we would go to the thrift stores and I would yep. come home, wash it, iron it, starch it. And it was <laughs> when you said thrift stores, I, yeah, you brought back some memories. I you think everything back- I'm wearing right now that you can see came from a thrift store and uh, that I'm currently wearing. It all came from a thrift store, which people might be like, yeah, it looks like it, but that's fine. I don't care. But uh, but I mean, I don't know what that means, but here, like my mom loved fashion, like you, my mom loved fashion, but she did not have a fashion budget. She did not have fashion. T- she did not have money to match her taste. Taste. <laughs> Tiffany <laughs> dreams on a dollar general budget. I always yeah. say that. That's what I tell myself. I have Tiffany dreams on a dollar general budget. <laughs> I am going to use that and give you all the credit. That is fabulous. But because of that, she was, she really learned how to look. And then she taught it, right? When you went to thrift stores or whatever, is it was like the quality, like, can I get this stain out? Some fabrics mm-hmm. it's harder or some it, stains it's harder. So it's like, if that's the only thing wrong with it, can I get it out? Oh, this is all great. Except there's a missing button. Can I, you know, can I fix it? Can add I add buttons? It? Can I, yeah. Can well, I add buttons to it? Can, what can I do to, to make it up? Right. And, uh, and, and right. And how can you do that? So in that process, like she also then was teaching us like, you know, like, oh, when my brothers go, when she looked for ties, she's like, this is how you find a quality tie. These are the things you're looking for. This is what you need. You know, you need to tug on those seams to make sure they're going to hold, you know, and, and what kind of fabric is it? You know, how do you read the labels? Um, and and I think all that stuff is is really important because we um I, I think sometimes we don't we live in a consumer driven culture, right? Yes. And, and the church is susceptible to that as well. It's not just individuals in your home. Our churches are susceptible to a consumer culture as well. And as I've gotten older, I've realized I would rather have less stuff at more quality than yeah. just a bunch of stuff to fill up my closets which don't get me wrong I have plenty in my closets but like and that just isn't applicable to a wardrobe right but it it's like even you know the appliances in a kitchen or the people that I spend my time with like 
you know sometimes sometimes less is more I have learned um I'm gonna go back to when I had first moved to New York and I was sleeping on the floor I had a air mattress Mm -mm. that was the best time in my life because I had nothing and I appreciated and my kids appreciated what we had because when I left I left everything in Alabama and I had to start all over and we didn't have anything and we had to depend on each other and that was a lesson that I learned sometimes having less is more because you appreciate what you have because when you get stuff you don't appreciate it as much because you take it for granted but when you go down to the bottom and have to start from the bottom and work your way up. I remember what it ha- what it was when you was talking about that too. I was thinking about when I moved to New York too. I came up on the Amtrak. Amtrak lost my clothing. I had to go buy clothes from Walmart's. Oh, wow. um, my co- actually, my cousin brought it for me. And I was so hurt because I had left everything behind in order to move. And I had to start all over with everything Mm -hmm. and I remember those times you know when you're talking about the (laughs) oh boy the thrift stores people giving me stuff you know um having forks you know some people may not oh some people may not even think about just a a utensil how important at times just having a utensil to use having less is more because you appreciate it it's not about the stuff it's not and like you said, when we go into church, it becomes about what I have, what we look like, what, but I have, because really I came from nothing. Yeah. Um, I try to pride myself on not, I don't, I hope that I don't put off the air that I'm better. I hope because I always tell people, because even like with, because I if am you're worried re- about being arrogant. You're that is not the way you present. In okay. Well, I'm just saying, because even like with having titles, when it comes to the stuff, um, especially in a church, I don't, when people say, well, before I got reverend in front of my name, um, doctor, I told people, I said, I don't want you to say that to me. I want, when you see me, I want you to see me for who I am. I want you to see the God in me. I don't want you to see what I have. Um, I want you to see my soul, my heart. Am I living up to what I say that I am? You know, I can be a little rough around the edges, but um, I want you to see who I am. And I think a lot of times in churches, we don't do that because we're so stuck on titles and stuff. And that doesn't make the person that it's about the heart and about doing God's work and I think I think this is a point that you was trying to get to yeah that we get so far off um with the stuff that we don't do the, the we don't do the housekeeping in doing what what we're called to do the great commission and the love that God wants us to show to our brothers and our sisters and the forgiveness that he wants us to show to one another and how we're supposed to respect one another, regardless of what race we are, regardless of where we come from or what we look like or what disability that we have. It's about doing the work, showing the love and not the stuff that we have and say, look what I got and look what this, it's not about that. It's about the heart. So, and, and I know that you, uh, you practice what you, you preach in here. Uh, I I've seen it in practice 
with you even in in the in the short time that we've known each other but what would be um you know you talked about forgiveness or whatever if you if you'd be willing to share what's what's a story of forgiveness that it like took you a while to get there it wasn't like it wasn't like you went oh it's not like stepping on someone's toe and saying oh forgive me I, I didn't mean to step on your toe I'm talking about like what are those places where either you had to ask for forgiveness or you had to be the one giving forgiveness and sometimes those are the same people um okay let me I can start yeah. that off I can give you two people All one right. you know I went home in March for a um a birthday party and when you say home can you tell people where that is Home is Mobile, Alabama. I was going to say, home is not New York where you're located. (laughs) No, home is Mobile, Alabama. Um, I, little background. I I ain't going to take too much time. Little background. I am a survivor of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I'm seven years worth of um, being beat. Um, Guns pulled to my head, choked. Um, the last straws when he took my last child and he threw him up against the wall and he almost went through the wall and I knew I had to get out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start my, that's my forgiveness story that I'm going to give here. Um, that's I went a lot home and, to forgive. And I know you just gave us. It's a tip. It was, it's a lot more to that, but, yeah. um, I went home January, March, March, Valentine's day, February. I was home for February, Mobile, Alabama. So my youngest son wanted to see his father. Mm. I was against it a hundred percent. Um, but I finally gave in and I said, well, we have to drive separate cars. I said, if your father gets there and starts acting a fool, I'm going to leave. I said, because I'm, I said, if he says something, I said, I don't know what I may or may not do. So I'm going to leave. We get there. Let me tell you how God works. My God son gets the God is there. <laughs> my God son, is ever present. <laughs> my son, and now I'm from Mobile, Alabama. I know exactly where the place is. I take the wrong turn. I take the wrong turn getting to the um restaurant. So my son beats me there. My son doesn't tell his father that I'm there, that I'm coming. So we get there. My son is calling me, Mom, where are you? I said I took the wrong turn, be there in a few minutes. So I, I get there. They've already seated. Mm-hmm. I go in and his father sees me and he immediately tells my son, I was, the, I, I take 98% of what I did to your mother. It was not her. It was me. Mm-hmm. If I could, he said, if she would have met me now, things would have been different. So he sat there in front of my son and he apologized. That gave me some goosebumps. He, I ain't through yet. He mm. apologized for everything that he did to me. That mm. man did, he almost killed me one time, Leah, to the. Yeah. It's yeah. by the grace of God that I'm standing here. Oh, I'm sitting here talking to you. Um. So, and I, I had always said, that if I seen him, I would never forgive him. Mm. I used to say, and I'm going to be a little naughty right here. I used to say, if I seen him, you know me, Leo. If I seen him on the side of the road, excuse me, I would not peek. 
piss on him. I said, piss. Yeah. I would let him stay on. He would stay on. He would be on fire. I said, and I would sit there and look at him. That's how I felt. But right. when he sat there and he 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 apologized to me, and I know that he meant it, um, something came over me, Leah, mm -hmm. and I forgave that man. The Holy Spirit I, came over you. Uh -huh. And I and I had always said that I would never forgive him, but I did. Wow. Do you know how blessed I have been since I've been able to forgive him? And I'm looking for the picture now. That's why my head is down. Does it, does it, does it just feel like, because I mean, forgiveness, right? They say like in that ability to forgive, it's, it's, well, I think Nelson Mandela, I'm going to butcher his quote. He said this like routinely, but, but like in the forgiveness, like I am the one who is freed, right? And it, it freed me from all, I was mean, because I, 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 I was really mean. Uh, can you see that picture? Yep. I, and I, I was able to take a picture with him. Well, you are I, always able to take a picture. Yvette, you know that you are, that is like one of your gifts of ministry. You capture all the moments. <laughs> but, but at that moment, when I walked out of the restaurant, Leo, it felt like a weight had been lifted off of me. Yep. And I haven't looked back at it. For my ordination, I actually sent him the invitation and everything. Wow. Um, I have no ill will towards him. He's right. had a heart attack since all of this has happened to. I, I don't call, but I asked my son, did you call and check on your father? Before I'd have told him, don't call that man. I'll, I'll, you know, but now I was going to say, like, does that did did your son witnessing that help him? It helped him because he was struggling. Yeah, you know, as a young man, he was struggling and he couldn't understand stuff, and he thought that I because he only got my side of the story mm -hmm. technically. So when his father sat there and told him everything and i've got a book coming out too leah um his and it talks about that yeah. his father sat there and um told him everything that he had did to me mm -hmm. and my son he looked at me i said i never lied to you i said you may have thought that i was lying to you about the things that this man did to me i said but i didn't lie to you yeah. I said, I always told you the truth and see who would have thought that that moment would ever occur. Who would have right. thought that we would be able to sit down and break bread, look, break bread. And he actually paid for it too, girl. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh Miracles happen. <laughs> right. But I mean, no, that is, that is a power because like also even what you're describing, like how long you've been carrying around this weight? 30 years, 30, yeah. 20? Yeah. It was 23 I left when my son was three years old. My baby was well, that's three years when you old. left, but how long you've been carrying that weight, that story started Nick, before you walked when, out that door. Right. And then Leah, on top of it, and people don't understand why I went into Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. Um, I did regular counseling. I started off. Right. Three days a week. Mm-hmm. I had to go. That's how messed up I was. I went three days a week, but I don't know how long. Then we went from three days a week till we got down to once, 
once a week for how long? I'm fine. And I've, I've done, I was in therapy with this for about 20 something years. Yeah. I still see the same therapist that I started off with. Now I talk to her once a month. Wow. But it took me a while to get there. But the piece that was missing from me was the biblical piece. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have a relationship with God and you don't understand why God was stretched wide, hung high, nails in his hand and in his um, feet. If you don't understand the sacrifices that he made for us and why he did it, um, you don't quite heal. And the more spiritual I got, the more into God I got, the more into I started learning and understanding what God went through, what Jesus went through on the cross. Um. I started looking at things a lot different. And for me, and now I just got ordained now. To me, this was a whole process that God showed me how his grace and mercy, how he forgives us each day for all the things that we've done. But why can't we forgive other people? I had to forgive him. If I'm going to be the person that's going to stand before God's people or or before God's creation, and profess the gospel, I got to show that I've been able to forgive. Mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna give you another short story on this one. Um, my mother is in a nursing home right now. Yeah. Um, she wasn't the nicest mother. Okay. I'm gonna say this. She beat me so bad one time that she put me in a hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, forgiveness, it took me a long time to also forgive her. Um. Yeah. I now, because like I said, she's in a nursing home. I did bring her here to take care of her, but she was very combative with me. She, um, very physical with me. So I had to put her in a nursing home. Well, boundaries don't mean we don't forgive people. Yeah, but yeah, it don't forgive. But also in that process, she had told me that my father didn't want me. Mm. So I not only did I have to learn how to forgive people, I had to deal with abandonment issues, yeah. not feeling, not feeling wanted or loved. And um now I have a relationship with my father. But it wasn't until after my mother had the stroke, and then I went to him and I said, All I want from you is for you to tell me the truth. That's all I'm looking for, is for you to tell me the truth. And we said, and we started having those conversations. I started reading her journals because she wrote a lot in her journals. But I I don't keep them anymore. I throw them out when I finish. I recycle that. (laughs) Well, it helps. I'm trying to have my kids learn about my stream of consciousness, (laughs) but they get enough from my actual mouth. I do not need them reading all the behind the scenes. But if I wouldn't have, no, but the thing about that, Leah, if I wouldn't have read her journals. Right. I wouldn't have got to know who that hurt little girl she was. Oh yeah. Right. Cause we all those ages at once, right? Like you're, you're, you know, we're, we're these grown women now, but we're, we are still like those little girls, the, those, those hurt children, those, whatever. I mean, you, you said you were, you were real messed up, but I, I think a soul that has been broken that it takes just a long time for God to put that back together. You know, I'm 50 years old. I know I don't yeah. look it. I know I don't look it. 
you don't look it. No, I don't but, know what no, but yeah. look like. Hollywood's ruined it for me. I don't know what anybody's supposed to look like. My son sometimes are like, well, you're younger than she is. Why do you look like that? I was like, she has a team. She has a team of people helping her. Like, I, this but, is but, all me. This is all natural. I don't know what to tell you kiddos. But, uh, you're a crazy girl. But yeah, but that's, that's true. But, um, it was a process. Yeah. And I wanted, and that's, uh, that's the, the piece that we're forgetting. You got to want to be better. You got to want to do better. You got to know that you are better than what you came from. And I've always known that didn't have all the pieces because when you broken, the pieces don't fit no matter how you want to fit them. The pieces don't fit. But when you start getting in relationship with God and you start understanding his word and his word starts getting into you and it starts manifesting, the pieces start falling into place. And that is what happened to me. So now um, I can say I'm grateful. I can say I forgave my mother and my father and um, my ex. His father, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can say that um, I'm good. You know, I, I, I can walk around and say that I'm good because if it was, I don't have any, I don't think I have any ill will towards anybody else. It was those people that I was carrying the stuff to. And mm -hmm. if now, because I've never been a type that really held grudges, but I held stuff because you, it was like, they hurt me. Oh, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. And then when you keep getting stabbed in the chest and it's like, but I didn't do anything. And what I had to realize is that um, a lot of times, I know in my mom's, in my mom's age, she's in that 70 year old, that 70, 80 age bracket. And they didn't talk about things and whatever happened to them in their childhood, they didn't talk about. Yeah. So you have to forgive. You have to forgive them for not knowing any better, but you also right. have to be able to forgive them for not, for them not being able to have the tools that we have now. Right. You know, we have tools to be able to move past things. And it's and that's why I say it, it, it's up to you if you want to stay stuck in a situation. And I didn't. And I knew in my ministry, because I'm over the domestic violence ministry, I couldn't help other people and other children um, if I wasn't completely healed. You know, well, and yeah, that goes. I mean, because we get, we get triggered. You'll get triggered no matter what, right? But if you're aware that you know therapies and 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 I would say the daily rituals and practices and prayers, because well, you have a very different relationship with God than I do, because God never wakes me up at three in the morning, and God. Yeah, I think was gonna go there. Gonna go down. No, I was because I still can't believe it. And I'm always like, once I heard you say that, because God wakes you up at three in the morning to pray. That's a, that's a routine of yours. And I was like, thank you, God, for knowing I need sleep. Thank you for knowing what I need before I asked for it. Thank you. <laughs> like that changed my prayer that day to God. I was like, oh, because there are other ways like God calls me and, and, and what, I mean, all the time. But uh, I'm very grateful that it doesn't happen that way. But that's part of that ritual and practice that has helped you to, to heal. That's because right. those, you might have, without God, you might still be waking up at three in the morning. 
but it'd be all anxiety and nerves. And, and because it's in relationship with God, it's, it's prayerful. And the thing about it is when I was in that bad relationship, the only place that I could go and pray and not get beat was in my closet. Hmm. So Ooh. now my room is my closet wow. for me to pray. And that's how I had to look at it. The only place he didn't beat me was in a closet when I was praying. Wow. You know, and I have to think about when they say go into your closet and pray. That is when he wakes me up and he tells me, get, get up. And like I was telling you this morning, I, I was up this morning. I said, I started looking at another sermon. I said, okay, God, where are we going? He started giving me scriptures. I said, okay, I started writing these scriptures. That's when he talks to me. But most of the time when he wakes me up that early in the morning, he wants me to go into warfare and to start praying. I pray for any and everybody who ever falls on my heart. I just start wow. praying. And that's that part. Where too, I think that forgiveness came because I was praying for God to help me. Mm. You know, I would always say, Lord, if it's your will. And I always say, God, not my will, but yours. And the other piece that I've learned is that God, when I want to do something that is against your will, you have my permission to override what I want to do. And he's been doing that. I give him to, my permission to override anything that's not in his will for my life. And, I, and, and with all that stuff that I was telling you about, I needed it to be gone. And I also prayed that God would stop any curses, anything that was not of him, that it stopped with me. It should not go forth in any, it, it stopped with me and my entire family. I don't want my kids, my kids, kids, my cousins, kids. I don't want anybody else having to go through the drama and the trauma yeah. Yeah. of the stuff that I've had to been and God has and I've seen things and sometimes I think I catch it because of, of that prayer that I pray but I've seen things start lifting and changing but that comes about from going down in prayer prayer that, I, and nobody don't believe yeah that generational uh that generational trauma that gets passed on I, I said like sometimes now like understanding that a little bit more I I don't feel like I've ever read those begats the same way in the Bible because what you see in the middles between them sometimes are, are stories of trauma, right? There's like so-and-so begat so-and-so. Also stories of healing, right? Because then you know, like you get those healers who said this, this generational trauma ends with me, right? Like I remember when my, my eldest was, I was pregnant with my eldest and I was writing in a journal for, for him, his, a, a journal I was keeping for him. And I was like, look, I guarantee you're going to end up in therapy one day, but it won't be <laughs> like, right. Cause you're not, cause therapy is healthy. That's just, yes. healthy. um, but like, it won't be for this reason, this reason, and this reason, like uh, these things that were part of our family structure are not things I'm going to pass on to you. There are going to be things that I do that are weird to my kids, upset my kids. I'm hoping some of them they'll understand when they're grown. <laughs> like they do. They do because my kids, I have a 30-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a getting ready to be 22-year-old. And then I'm raising my granddaughter. Right. And the, the top three, I call them the top three. The top three are really um 
they come back now we didn't understand that we didn't understand what you were saying we didn't understand why you would say the things that we that you were saying but mom thank you you know my and my daughter she tells me thank you for all those whoopings that you gave me because some of my friends never got whoopings and whoo mama they you know and thank you for coming this you they tell me all this stuff now so your kids will you know it takes time and they may get angry with you I got called um old-fashioned I got called you don't know what you're talking about I've been told and my baby used to hurt me to my heart he used to tell me that I was a horrible mother now he told me he said you were my first uber driver and I didn't realize what was just saying that like no joke I was just saying the other day because like my kid is currently on crutches and so I have to drive him uh because we live too close to the school so you can't like he can't just hop on a bus so I have to pick him up more than I I usually do okay Uh, which is like this weird pause in my work day to go and get him I'm not upset about it it's just this odd pause it's for this moment in our time or whatever but also because like you know, he's in middle school, like every activity your kids go to until they start driving, you have to take them there or mm-hmm. organize for their rise. And I was like, I now understand why there was a moment in our childhood that my mom answered the phone as, you know, Leah's taxi service. Like I, <laughs> I get it now, mom. I did it then, but I get it. I get it now. Right. See, and- it, makes, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and they, and at the older they get, Leah, they'll understand different stuff because my kids and now they now I have I can say that I have a very good relationship with my kids. They come to me and talk to me about some stuff I really don't want to know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but yeah, but they tell the gratitude, it gratitude, the blessing of knowing you created a space that they feel comfortable and safe and secure enough in order to do that. That's a even though you're like, I did not want to know this. <laughs> a lot of times they'll call and tell me stuff about their girlfriends and boyfriends. I'm like, I really didn't ask for that. But okay. And I prefer not to answer right. that. And then some of them are like, okay, let me tell you to you like this. You know, I'm going to tell you from a woman's perspective. Then I'll tell them, now let me tell you from the godly perspective on what. Yeah what is right and what is wrong you know because I was young once too and see that's something I think we forget too when we're talking about trauma you know that how that trauma is passed you know if my mother had the ability to be able to sit and talk to me I think our relationship would have been better because she would have felt that she could come to me and talk to me but she didn't have that so I try to make that space open for my kids right you know um because that DNA and passing it down is something else Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you were, I I call these conversations that the church should be having. I'm glad you're having this conversation with your church. Cause I think sometimes, um, I think it was Dr. Nadine Burke Harris in her Ted talk on, uh, adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. She was saying as a medical profession professional, she, she thought, um, Oh, these, these conversations about childhood traumas and how they affect the health as you age. She thought everybody, like, as soon as everybody sees this, they'll want to be talking about it. And what she realizes the opposite thing happened because it was so prevalent because 80% of the people have one trauma, like that's an adverse child. We all have lots of traumas, but not all of them 
have the same impact as certain ones that they've identified, right? So, but she's like, it's because it's so prevalent that no one wants to talk about it. And that's right, because in the church, you know, domestic violence is very prevalent in the church. Nobody wants to talk about it. In the church, when I I did Tamar in the church and we acted out the entire scene of Tamar. That's a scene. <laughs> and with her hollering, and all yeah. of it, the entire church, you could hear a pin drop in. Yeah. And nobody said anything to us after we did it. You know, and um, what I realized then, people don't want to talk. And I had men um, in the church to come up to me and tell me that their wives were abusing them. And I had women to tell me, but they would never stand for, come forth and say it like when I was doing stuff, they never would do it. So right. um, what I realized, another thing that I realized with about the church, doing COVID, I had got very angry with God. I said, you got me over the domestic violence ministry and all of this stuff is going on because the, the numbers rose during COVID. Oh, well, of course. Right. Cause there was no, right. Some, for some and people, resources the wasn't there. Yeah. outside. Yeah. As outside of the house. Right. Right. So, um, I was like, well, what, why I was very mad. And God told me, he said, but some, t you're, you're not supposed to be inside the four walls of the church with your ministry. And my ministry and how my ministry began to flourish is because I started writing in our newspaper, mm -hmm. writing different articles on domestic violence, talking about biblical perspectives of domestic violence. And even with like with David, because I did my dissertation on David and Tamar and it was, oh God, what was, I can't think of the name of it now, but anyway, um, I did it with David having a mental health issue. Oof. Yeah, we don't and really how, talk about that very much. And how that mental health and how he was treated as a child because he was the youngest and he was out there. See, you know, when we see people outside talking, <laughs> that was David out there in the metals with the, with the sheep. He was standing out there talking. If David was in today's, we say he was crazy. I did it from that perspective. Right. I did it from that perspective of it was a mental health crisis. So when you are broken and when you have turmoil in your house, you don't know how to handle turmoil when all you want to do, you're looking for love and affection from your kids mm. and how that affects you with, you know, we know that David had a good relationship with his mother, but he didn't have a good relationship with his father. Mm. How a father, I, I broke it down into all those different aspects right. for people to really look at why Tamar was silenced and why David didn't do anything about it. But I, yeah, like I and, said, I and how those, how those like experiences and traumas that we face, you know, sometimes like it gets a little frustrating. And you're like, I was done with this. I thought I already did all this and did all the hard work. And then something happens and you find yourself um, thrown, thrown back. And, and, um, but of course now with more practice, more skills, uh, the getting out of that, coming back from that is, is easier. The more you practice, like in the more awareness and work that you do. But I, I think it's good to talk about how, you know, sometimes what happened is no one did deal with it. No one did name it. And then it continued and continued and continued and continued. Look at, look at David and the stuff that he did. 
Yeah. He continued doing basically the same things. And then his children started doing the same things because they seen the father do it or heard about the father doing it. Yeah. How we pass down that DNA mm. and we don't stop it. How we uh, uh, let stuff continue and we don't do anything to stop it, you know, and, and until you confront it, you know, when your own kids want to kill you, look, and we can look at what's going on today. Oh, I, I don't you, want to sometimes, but you have to, right? It's a, you know, look at, close your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at what some of the stuff is going on. And a lot of it too, is because we, we, we've gotten so far from God and we don't have those principles that we need for everyday life. We, we don't teach them. Um, we don't, I think we're scared of them or we think they're old. Like my kids will call me, they're old fashioned and they don't work, but they do work. Well, even the way that you talked about this, and then I cannot believe it's been an hour and I need to ask you my, my final question, but even the okay. way that you like, talked about this is, um, is about the titles and the testimonies, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you want people to approach you and be like, see, I'm a child of God. And I think that that interconnectedness is embedded in that. Like I, to, to be able to firmly stand and say, I am right? I, I am this beloved child of God and recognizing that, that other people are too, even if they do it differently. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a well worth uh, a life well lived to be able to, to do that and to, and to practice that and to see it. And sometimes what I feel like is missing is that somebody didn't see the human Somebody didn't see the person, that image of God in front of them. And then they said or did these horrible things. Mm -hmm. And some of those results, I mean, all those things, right? All our choices have consequences and they, they might be good ones and they might be not so great ones, you know, but each and every one of them does. And our, like your choices and my choices impact each other, especially when we're in a shared space and, and we we and we we house when we <laughs> i can't even get the words out but yes. when we're in the shared space and yes. that's why i love the group that we're in in our cohort yes that cohort that we're a part of yeah it's you know we're in that shared shared space but we go at it yep we we say it from our perspectives but we respect the other person's perspective and i've learned as an African-American, because I'm going to put it out there, I've learned so much from you guys and you all have poured into me because to me, I came in at, as the default because I, to me, I didn't have enough experience. So <laughs> I'm the reject. I'm the reject. No. <laughs> you know, but it was like, you all, when I look at you all, you all have something that I had no clue to and y'all opened my world up. You know, and I yeah. hope that I've done the same with you all because it was, it was kind of rough the first. <laughs> I mean, rough. it can be rough. Sometimes the things that you think are going to be easy too, you're like, why did that, that just stung a little bit. Why did that, but equally, equally uh, feel poured into like I, I do as I do as well. And, um, and that, that idea, right. Of being poured at, in or poured out into mm -hmm. the world brings us to the final question, you know, which I've been asking. And I, I know, um, I know I ask a lot, I ask a lot of questions, um, but, uh, but it's the idea of the, the care bear, which I have, I have my own little care bear behind me, <laughs> but, uh, but you bet if you were 
a Care Bear. If Yvette were thrown into cartoon world and you know, you were made into a Care Bear all of a sudden, uh, what color would your Care Bear be? And what is that core emblem that, of love that you're pouring out into the world? What 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 is embodied there? I would have a heart symbol. Hmm. And any particular color, an empty heart, a full heart? I would say a full heart so I could pour so I could pour into others. Okay. Um, what I'm gonna go with purple like behind you because I want to be royalty. You know how I am. Oh, I'm with <laughs> I'm with you on that. My inner my inner self is a princess through and through. Yeah, you I'm know, not a queen though. I'm a, I'm not a queen, but I'm a princess for sure. So I would say that and I would want just to pour out love on people especially those who are struggling especially with kids because I got a heart for kids um I would want to be able to pour yeah I want to pour and to give and um to be filled up hopefully now which Care Bear helps fill up <laughs> <laughs> now so you want to give Care Bear I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that we need to have one in our pot or something like I you know I don't know that but but even that feels biblical, like that idea that it's God who's who who's constantly filling us Boring. back up so that we can mm -hmm. get out. I mean, we talked about living on a budget and all that stuff, but I think in general, using these these gifts or using those finances or using whatever it is that we use in this world, right? It's when we don't have a lot, we remember to give from our abundance. And sometimes the more we have, the less we give. Yeah, I think we get scared because then we remember what it was like to not have, right? Those moments. But, but, but Leah, God for me, is I like, can't don't say worry that. about that. I can't say that because I yeah. remember a time when I couldn't give and I wanted to give. Yeah. So now I give because I have that abundance. And yeah. it may not be much to somebody else, but it's an abundance to me because I remember when I couldn't give and I wanted to give and I didn't have it to give. So yep. now I give it from that place of Lord, I thank you for, for getting me to this place where I can give it and give it freely and give it to you without saying, Oh, I got right. a bill to pay over here. <laughs> and and so, sometimes it isn't that much, right? Sometimes it isn't, it's, it's the thought behind it. And I'll, I'll end on this. I thank you for your time being here. But you noticed when I, when we were in school together in January, <laughs> right? I, I was, I don't know, you noticed like, I, I, cause I was taking off my shoes all the time. I can't sit for eight hours a day. And I got you some more. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're amazing. But you, you brought me these very colorful and I still wear, I wear them, but I got some more bright, colorful socks because that's what I was wearing were these bright colorful socks. And the fact that you like noticed and gave, and it wasn't like a lot, but it just that but I think sometimes it is, is like giving what one has, knowing that God's going to fill it up, right? In some way, right? That we can freely give in whatever capacity we're able to we're able in to that give. moment. But I think sometimes we get into trouble when we try to pretend we're not seeing what we're seeing, or we're ignoring those things that we know are, are there because for whatever reason, like that bystander, and I feel like that's a whole different conversation, but like, even though like it's a pair of socks, right? Like you're like, that's not, that's not breaking your budget. Right. I hope not, no. but, but, but it's, it's recognizing like, this is, a, this is something and you uniquely, you see somebody, right. You saw me and my love of colorful socks and you participated in that. 
And I like, it gives me joy. And now when I wear those, I always think of you and it feels like, then it's like, oh, I get to pray for your vet right now as I put on these socks. And I was like, that's why she did it. She knew she, I, she wanted me, she wanted me to pray for her. No, no, it's not. It's wonderful. But I thank you for the time that you've given. Uh, I know life is busy and, and I just thoroughly appreciate this uh, holy moment to spend with you. So thank you. Love you, sis. All right. Love you too.